You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Okay, this morning I want to talk to you about something that we talked about not too long ago, so don't get mad at me. You guys are like, oh, really? We're hitting this again? Um, Because the Lord spoke something to me about this passage in prayer last week that He really laid in my heart that I believe is so foundational when it comes to understanding every part of our life, how he desires for every area of our life to grow. And so I want to talk to you guys this morning about how to really have joy in the midst of the trials of life, okay? Now, we're going to go read a familiar passage that, again, I've I've taught on a few times, um, but we're going to look at it quite a bit differently than we have in the past. And James chapter 1 is probably the most familiar passage that we read in the almost the entirety of the Bible when it comes to understanding and dealing with how we go through the trials of life with joy. And when you really read it, I don't know about you, but I get mad at James, all right? Because I'm like, that's just not right, okay? James, you don't understand. I don't know what you walk through, but like when the Taco Bell line is slow, that's a trial, all right? And, and I'm angry. And I'm not counting it all joy. I'm rolling down my window and be like, hey, expedite the order, guys. You know, like, let's go. And don't go to Whataburger because you're just going to lose everything, all right? Um, I don't know what James walked through, but it is not easy to actually go through a trial that stretches you. And, and what's amazing about this is that the Bible's really implicit. It's clear. And that's what makes it even worse, is that the Bible says a trial is not just a light thing. It's a a real thing. It's an all-encompassing thing. It's something that tries to suck you under. And so the command, the imperative is this, to be in joy, to count it all joy. And you go, there is no way, no how. That's not a natural reaction. So how do we get into that place, and why is this important? And today, as we look at this, maybe through a slightly different angle, here's what I want us to see is that God actually created a design that's very powerful and just takes a little bit of trust in his plan to ensure that when we walk through the things of life that try to encompass us, that try to pull us under, that feel like we can't see past them, that are breaking our heart, And I'm not just talking, I want you to think about this as a trial in every shape, form, and fashion that you can. I don't want you just to think about a financial stress. I want a stress. I want you to think about an emotional stress. I want you to think about a heartbreaking stress. I want you to think about a fearful stress. Because the Bible, again, is implicit when it talks and means these things. All these things that try to overwhelm us, that are set up. And this is why this is important, because this is a foundational teaching. And this morning, I really would like to set forth to teach you something, if I could. That requires us to like, just say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, Holy Spirit, we're going to listen to you. Because this affects every area of our life because it's a foundational issue. The way that we deal with the stuff of life, the trials of life, absolutely affects our relationships, doesn't it? It affects our relationships. I know for me it does. When I walk through hard things, sometimes I shut off, I pull back, I become a hermit, I close off. Sometimes I overreact, I get angry, I get quick, I get impatient, I get focused, I put blinders on. It affects our peace, absolutely. 
how we see our future, how we begin to understand what promises God's given us and the things even just naturally that we look forward to, those things become impaired when we walk through these all-encompassing trials. But most importantly, it affects the way sometimes that we view God's ability to care and to love us. And that's where it begins to get dangerous. It's because when we get out of that place of understanding the all-encompassing care of God, then we begin to slowly spiral down in the other areas of our life. It affects our job. It affects our relationship. It affects our marriage. It affects our children. It affects our peace. It affects our future. All these things. So understanding what the Word says about this and God's design on how to stay in joy then becomes very important as how to maintain a healthy foundation in every area of our life. Because yes, it's easy to be joyful when you're happy. It's easy to get up and to be available and to be present when you're good. But life doesn't go that way, does it? Oh, it doesn't. And this is probably the second thing that irritates me about the book of James, if I could be honest with you, is that James didn't write. He said, listen, God will never let a trial hit your doorstep. Oh, why not? Aren't you God? Don't you control all things? He says, no, when it happens, consider it pure joy. Why? Because friends, let me just say it like this. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that we can't control. We live in a world, if I could even be so blunt as to say that, we have lifespans, don't we? We deal with these things. We deal with our mortality. We deal with the fear of the future that we can't control. We deal with the things and the people in our life that we try to control, but we can't. All these things. But God has given us a way to stay in joy. Let's read this in James 1, 2 through 7. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave, is like the wave of a sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Thank you, James. Do not write Hallmark cards, please. All right? Hey, you're going through a hard time, but, but suck it up, buttercup. And don't doubt, because if you do, you're going under. God bless you. We love you. Goodbye. <laughs> you got to be able to laugh at this, guys. This is the first key to finding joy. All right? So let's talk about this, because I want to start with a premise with you guys, something that actually I feel like, honestly, the Lord showed me when I was in prayer, and I was reading this and thinking about this. I want to start not with James 1, 2, because I think that's not the first step. I think the first step is actually James 1, 5. James 1, 5. Let me reread this to you really quick. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously with, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Here's why. And this is the premise. God understands. 
God understands that you cannot have joy in something that you don't understand. God understands that you can't have joy, you can't anchor in His joy if you are lacking understanding of the purpose of what's going on. And so the premise is this, that God starts with His wisdom and begins to interject that in the middle of our trials. So here is why this is important. The problem is not, okay, the problem with our understanding of trials comes from the the lack of understanding the purpose of the trial. And so what happens is this, is that we will begin to, to classify our problems, won't we? When we don't understand them, what do we do? We try to make them make sense, don't we? The trials of our life. I know in my life what I've done is I've said, look, is it my fault? Did I do something? Did I go wrong? And even sometimes I begin to slip into a place where I begin to question God's goodness in my life. Now, I'm just going to tell you this, and so see if you identify with this. Sometimes when I go through trials, sometimes the first thing I thought, think of is, did I sin? Did I do something wrong? That's not what God's asking you to do, because that's not the purpose, nor is it the answer. Sometimes we put it on other people, don't we? This problem is in my life because of so-and-so and this and them. And can I tell you that Ephesians debunks that as well. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, and rulers, and high places. Though there may be a little bit of root in somebody's behavior or actions towards you, the purpose of that and the problem around it doesn't involve somebody else. And this is especially hard sometimes for us to understand, isn't it? Because it's really easy when we go through hard things to divert it somewhere else. But God has a purpose for it. Sometimes we do this. We, we blame the devil. The devil gets way too much credit for the things in our life. Some of you are going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. All bad things come from the devil. Yes, but, but listen, can, can I just tell you something? The devil is not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. He doesn't, he doesn't have free carte blanche. He is not unilaterally tormenting all of us at the same time. He has set up an order on this earth that is corrupt. It is corruptible. It is in chaos. And we just kind of live in it. But here's what I want to do. And this is why this is especially important for us to understand. Because I've heard way too many believers stop moving forward in their journey of faith because they feel like the devil is out to destroy them. And I want to tell you something, that yes, the devil doesn't want you to succeed, but he is not the greatest force in your life. Alright? If you are in Jesus Christ, he does not have the authority to destroy you. Alright, I'm pretty sure that's crystal clear, hopefully. But we want to blame the devil. Sometimes we want to blame God's punishment. And we want to blame God's punishment. And sometimes we blame life circumstances. And though all of these things seem like legitimate things, what they do is they defer us from the purpose of a trial. And so, 
God has a plan and a purpose for the things that we walk through. And let me tell you this, it's to bring you out better on the other side, to teach you joy, a joy that is not shaken. As a matter of fact, as we dig back into James 1, what we see is this, is that as this work takes complete, uh, takes place, what it does is it makes us so unshakable, so unmovable, that the things of life actually begin to bounce off of us. That's what the Word says. So I want to talk about this really quick. How we gain joy in the midst of the trials of our life. So the first thing that we want to do is this. The Word tells us to do. is to consider joy the option in every circumstance. Now this is important in James 1-2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, the word consider here in the original language means this is to to make an account, to make an account. And I want you to think about a budget or your checkbook. When you balance your checkbook out or however you do that online or, or on a spreadsheet, QuickBooks, whatever you use, and as you begin to allocate where this money was spent and you put it into a column and you set your budget accordingly, this is the same term that this word is when it says consider to a take account. And so the first thing that we have to do is that we have to Make a decision. We have to give permission. Now here's what I want to tell you. Is that in making decisions, things don't automatically turn around. But it sets the foundation for joy to take work in your life. For the Holy Spirit to bring joy. So the first thing that we do when a trial comes up is that we have to decide in which column of life it goes in. We have to decide where we're going to put it in our life. Are we going to put it under misery, fear, anger, hopelessness? Are we going to take those things and begin immediately to put these under these, under these, these things that don't lead us into life? Something happens and all of a sudden we go into the woe is me. All of a sudden fear begins to creep in. All of a sudden we get angry, we get mad. All of a sudden hopelessness begins to track in our thinking. But this is, what, this is what God asks us to do, is that when we go through trials in our life, the first thing we need to do is to put it into the column of joy, of peace, of the knowledge of God, of the understanding of God's love and His care. Is that God asks us to remove it out of this column and put it in this column as an opportunity for Him to move. When we do this, what He is doing is He is, we are beginning to set the foundation in our life for joy to take work inside of us. But this, friends, listen, is as simple as it sounds, this is the starting block. Is that we have to take, and we can't put it under the category of these things anymore that are rooted in our emotions, that are rooted in fear, that are rooted in our natural thinking. Instead, we have to slide these in the column of the understanding of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? So you have to actually, when it comes to the trials of life, you can't wait until a trial comes in your life to begin to add to this column. This column has to be built in continually. Some of you, when you look at your checkbook, you just know it's not going to look good. You're just like, mm. you don't have to wait from the call from your spouse. You know, whenever the word money comes up, you know you don't got any, right? And you're just like, oh, it's, it's always on this column. 
But the thing with the trial is this, and what's important to understand about James is this, is that in order to consider something that is encompassing you and trying to drag you under and put it under the joy column, you've got to have something on this side of the account already. It can't be bankrupt when the trial comes. And here's what I'm saying to you in plain language, is that you have to keep a history with God. You have to think about His benefits. You have to think about His goodness. When things aren't hairy, there are times in my life where I remind myself, oh man, all right. See, this is... I'm going to take a sip of coffee. I'm going to decide. All right. Hmm. Okay. When my sister-in-law got pregnant with twins, I said, God, you're faithful. When my brother got set free from drugs, God, you're faithful. When my kids got sick and God healed them, I said, God, you're faithful. So then when it hit me, Oh, the enemy tried to go, come on, mark it up, mark it up, mark it up. But God said, look, uh uh-uh, I want you to look back over at this column. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, Andy, you don't have to put it in there because you know who I am. You know what I've done. So guess what? I am faithful to you. You can't have this empty when you come to a trial. You've got to fill it up. You've got to have a history with God. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. This is what God is continually doing. He is bookending hope in your life. He is bookending eternal hope. Listen, I want to tell you something that you need to, we as believers, if you're a believer here, you need to really rejoice in. Your future is secure. Whether you're in this world or you're out of this world, your future is secure. You are good, 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 right? But also this scripture tells us this, that that hope is not just in the eternal, but the eternal hope is in us. So we live with hope continually. And what it does is it produces all joy. And so the hope of God has to grow in your life. You have got to cultivate and nurture and nurture the hope of God inside of you. Build this side of the account. Why? Because when a trial comes, you can put it under this place and say, God, I'm going to watch you perform something miraculous in my life. All right, the second thing is this, is that we have to understand what's really being stretched when we go through a trial. Now, this is something that just popped out to me when I read this. And I was like, oh, Thank you so much, Jesus. Because my understanding is this, is that whenever I've read James 1, this passage before, I've I've, I've kind of skipped over this. And it's just a small little word, but it makes a huge impact in the way that we perceive our ability to endure and to trust God in the timing as He makes things perfect in our life. James 1.3 says this, because you know that the testing of your faith 
produces perseverance. The testing of your... The testing of your... What's different than the testing of your faith and the testing of you? Is that your faith is not based on your strength or your ability. It is based on God's provision. It is based on the truth of who He is. It is not based on your ability to fulfill it. It is not based on your ability to sustain it. It is based on the truth of who He is. So when God says that there is a peace, it is not sustained on your ability to get peace. It is sustained on His peace. When God tells you that you are a conqueror, it is not based on your ability to fix things and make things right. It is based in His power. What's being tested is not you. What's being tested is not your patience. Okay? What's being tested is not your ability to understand. That's not what the Scripture says. And some of you go, oh, look, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just cutting in too deep here, Pastor. You're, just, you're trying to make a, a small point too big here. No, I'm telling you, I'm not. Because here's the understanding is that this word faith is, is the word Greek word pistis, which means to trust. And this trust is not rooted in what we do. It's not rooted in our ability. It is rooted, it is rooted in who God is. It's not what's being tested is not my ability to fix, to figure out, or to work about an answer. And this is important. Because God has provided this in us. He has put this in us. And it is not rooted in us. It is rooted in the truth of who He is. It is rooted in the truth of His faithfulness. It is rooted in the faithfulness of His promises. God is not worried about the trial of your life, whether His word can be proven true or not. He knows it will be. Our ability, our, our job is to say, God, I'm anchoring myself inside that, that beautiful trust that you have provided. But this works about something. This is what the Scripture says is this, is that this works about something. It says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance or godly patience. It produces perseverance, patience. And godly patience is something that we see here that what we, what we want to get to, which is this understanding that God intends to make us, even in the midst of our trials, He intends to make us unshakable, unflappable, unmovable, even in the storms of life. The intent of this, the purpose of the trial, what we, we started with, and the ability to put it under the category of joy comes from the truth that what's being tested is God's faithfulness. And when we anchor into that, when we choose to put our trust in God's faithfulness, His ability to fulfill His word in our life, what takes place is this, is He begins to set us as a firm, firm, unshakable house. This is what the intent of the word is here. So in order to understand this, we have to understand in order to establishing our joy. Okay, And this is really where I want to get to today. 
guys are like, you did an awful lot of talking to get us to this place. Follow me here, all right? Because there's an order. Because I still have a problem with the book of James. And this is my problem. Is that I understand, yes, I need to put it in the category of joy and I have to have a history of God. But that's still even difficult if we're honest, right? And yes, I understand that. Yes, it's, it, it's my faith that's being challenged. It's my faith that's, come, that's it's being hit up against. It's not my ability. But still, I find it hard to anchor down into those places. But let's talk about really quick how we do this, all right? And so what I want to do is I want to jump over to another passage in 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6. And this is God's order to establishing joy in our life, all right? It says this, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, or brotherly love, and to brotherly kindness love. All right. This is the first thing that God does as He sets up and He puts faith in us. This is trust. Is that He anchors it in who He is. But again, what do you... You don't trust what you don't know. You don't trust what you don't think values you. Can we be honest for just a second? So if somebody walked up to you on the street that you didn't know, and you said, listen, he came up to you and said, listen, let me hold your wallet. You can trust me. Don't worry about it. I'm a very trustworthy person, okay? Just you can trust me. You're not like, you know what? You just look trustworthy. I'm going to go for it. I don't know what I'm thinking, but let's do it, right? Let's take this gamble. He's like, are your credit cards in there? (laughs) You're like, they sure are. All your identification, I got it, right? You don't do that. That's not natural, and that's not even in your design. And a lot of times there's this misnomer within the church and within the heart of God that says this, is that God is actually asking you to blindly trust Him. And can I just tell you that's not right? Because here's the next word, goodness. And let me tell you what this word means. It means the excellency of the goodness of God's character. This is what God's saying. When you set to put your trust in me, it is always backed up by the truth that I have proven myself to be good. I've never failed. I've never fallen short. Everything that I've done for you, towards you, toward humanity is good. It is good. And this is what God wants you to grow in. Is that He wants you to grow in His goodness. And He he gives it to us all at the same time. When we're in a setting like this, hopefully you're getting an understanding of the goodness of God. When you read the Bible, I hope that you get an understanding of the love and the goodness of God. When you see His faithfulness in your life, I pray that you're getting an understanding of the goodness of God. And what's interesting about this, as you look through the batting order, because everything after 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 deal with the change in us, but God extends Himself first to us to put joy inside of us no matter what we are walking through. 
Now, if that doesn't scream grace and goodness, I don't know what does. Because God is not asking you to trust Him just because He is God. Some of you go say, oh yes, yes He does. He is holy, He is God, He deserves these things. But God has always proven His goodness. You cannot separate the goodness of God from the holiness of God. You cannot separate the goodness of God from the faithfulness of God. He is good. He is also God. And He gives it to us. But then He moves into knowledge. And this is the word gnosis. And the word gnosis is important, especially as it goes to James chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom... The Greek word wisdom in James 1.5 is the word Sophia, which means this. It is our ability to take in and to rationalize things. It's our un- un- the lack of understanding and our desire to understand more. But the difference between wisdom and knowledge is immense. And this is what God says, is that when faith grows and the revelation of my goodness grows, then knowledge comes. And this word gnosis means something that permeates your heart. It begins to become a foundational truth to you. And God says this, listen, I want to tell you that this is how faith grows and joy grows in you. Is that when you trust me and you see my goodness that's extended to you, then it will begin to change your understanding and correct wrong thinking in you. Because sometimes when we go through trials, don't we think that we deserve it? Sometimes when we go through trials, don't we think it's the best that life has for us? Sometimes when we go through trials, don't we say to ourselves, well, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But all those things don't line up with the truth of who God is, the goodness of God. And so as faith grows and as goodness grows in our heart and as God extends it, what happens is it begins to change the way we think. And in order to have joy in a trial, this has to happen. And self-control, well, guess what? just means self-control. But why is that important when you're trying to get joy in the middle of a trial? Can I just be blunt? Because you're crazy. (laughs) Because you're crazy, you're cussing, you're spitting, you're mad. You're kicking your dog that you love. You stop feeding the goldfish. It's bad. You're not listening to positive things when you go to church. Instead, you're cutting people off and... You know what I'm saying? Things get out of control. So what God does is this in this order. And I want to, I'm just, listen, I hope hope this makes sense to you guys. Because this is how you begin in the middle of a trial to to put and anchor your faith in a place where it begins to bring joy. And trust me, friends, it works. I promise you this works. Is because, listen, I don't know about you, but I need self-control over my emotions. I need to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to reign in these things. And this word here has a little bit of a particular meaning too. It means relentless emotions or relentless lusts. And this idea of lust isn't necessarily talking about physical lust, but it's talking about those things that we want to chase after when we feel haywire and out of control. And we all have faced this before. And the only way to begin to rein these things in starts up here. God, I trust you because you are good. You begin to change the way I think. And when when my spirit is changed into the knowledge of the truth of who you are, then my emotions can be under control. 
my emotions can be under control. Why? Because what comes next? Go ahead, Justin, come up here. This is this word perseverance again. This is the matchup in James 1. And this is this patience, godly patience. Because let me just be really honest with you and tell you the truth in, in this. Is that there is going to be a timing issue inevitably that comes up when you are walking through a trial on how to hold on to your joy. Because you're going to look at God at some point and say, God, the big question is going to come up. It's going to say, when? When? When will this be over? When will this stop? When will I get some relief? But here's what I want you to see. Is that not only does God know, not only does God understand, and some of you, listen, I want to tell you that you've gotten bad answers from people in the church. And church, don't be, let's not be these people. Let's not be the people that look at people when they're going through hard times and say, hey, listen, God understands. He'll figure it out. Trust Him. Some of you don't like the way I'm preaching right now. But you need to hear what I'm saying. Because that's not the answer. The answer is this. Producing godly patience requires us to say, God, I trust you to get a taste of his goodness, to grow in the knowledge of him so that it begins to affect our soul, the seed of our soul, so that our emotions are no longer in control of us, so that in all things that we can lean back and we can trust him in his timing. And that patience begins to grow that we begin to say, no matter what, it is well with my soul. You know why? Because we're rooted in the truth of His goodness. There's not one person here that hasn't gone through something that has felt like it has tried to destroy them. We all share that together. The other thing that we share together is this, is that if you know Jesus Christ, this pattern is true for you. And He doesn't fail. And He doesn't fail. And part of the way of getting joy in your life is being able to relax in the plan that God has for you because He is perfecting something in you that is far more valuable than what you are walking through. And not only does He understand what you're walking through, but He's got your future secured. So this isn't just something that you're having to labor through. This actually becomes joyful to walk through. I know that sounds foreign, but I want to tell you, it becomes amazing. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I might have even mentioned it last week. When I walked through my battle of anxiety related to my physical disease, and I struggled with these things, this was one of the first things that popped up. God, why? How long? And this is what I learned. As God brought me back through this and said, Andy, you know you can trust me, and here's why. You know that I want to correct some things in your life that maybe you left unchecked. And I want the knowledge of who I am to grow in you so deep that it begins to affect the way that you react. I would not trade this for anything. Because what I grew 
and the knowledge of his goodness and the knowledge of his truth in my life far outweighs anything that I've had to wait for. I hope that makes sense to you. But this is godly patience, which brings us to the next one, which is godliness. And this is where it begins to get good, is that this is reverence. And this is where you want to be. But I want you to notice something that's so important. Man, I hope, I hope I'm not boring you guys. Okay, because I'm telling you, this, this really can change your life. This means coming to God and acknowledging Him for who He is. Hey, you're holy. I'm your creation. You are way up here and I'm way down here. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. And I'm here to worship and to serve you and to adore you. This deals with holiness. This deals with reverence. This deals with the idea that we come humbly before God. But do you know where it comes in the lineup? Number six. Is that God has already displayed His goodness and His ability to infuse His thoughts and to control us and His, His patience and His loving kindness and His steadfastness in us. And then we get to the place, friends, where we go, God, I am good just to be here in Your presence. And in that place, there is a freedom that occurs. Because this is where you begin to be unshakable and immovable. And the things of life really stop taking and buffeting up against you. Because you are in a place where you say, it is well with my soul. Why? Because you are God and I am your creation. And whatever happens, it is good. Because I trust you. All right. Let's rattle these off. If you're a guest joining us today, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm not as normally this animated. I, please. Okay. Let's keep going. i got to tell you, this isn't easy to talk about as a pastor. Because I know that I'm looking at you and I'm telling you that you're going through stuff. And I know it stinks. I would use stronger language if I thought it wouldn't be offensive. But, but here's the thing is that, is that God has a plan. And all of us share the commonality again of having to go through stuff and it's real and it matters and, and it's hard. And God's not looking at you and saying, hey, it's not hard, it's not important, get over it, shake it up, pull up your boots. He's not telling you that. He's giving you a display of grace. And it's so amazing and it's so beautiful. And we should stand back and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because what happens is this, is then we become a testimony to the world, because what happens is this, is that love for people, this is the Greek word, this is the Greek word philio. And this is brotherly love. The way we treat people changes. And if just by chance that some of the trial that you're in involves somebody doing you wrong or doing you dirty or, or hurting you or whatever it is, then this is your opportunity to be free. Because this is what the Scripture says, is that when we go through this process, then love, not our ability to love, but God's ability to love through us, other people, begins to happen. And we begin to set people free. We begin to forgive people. 
This is so important. I've been this person. You've been this person. Well, you say, I can't move past this because this is what this person has done to me. This is what's happened. And I understand, again, I can't say it more emphatically than I've been saying that that stuff is real and it's hurtful. And it can destroy your life if you allow it to. But I want to tell you something. There is a better design. And God can set you free. And when you get to this place, friends, I promise you, there will come a point in your life where you can say, I forgive you and I let you go. And no longer are you taken hostage by those things in your life. And the last word is this, agape, God's love. The ability to love God, to come full circle, to live, to abide, to know, to dwell in the love of God. This is God's order to restore our joy. This is what God brings us through. This morning, if you are walking in a place where you are lacking in joy because you are walking through a trial, I want to tell you just a couple of things that you're not alone. If the honest spotlight could come on in this room and shine on all all of us who are going through a trial, it would shine on me, it would shine on many of you, is that you're not alone. No matter what the reason is that you feel like you're walking through that trial, and you feel like it's sucking you down, let me tell you another truth is this, is that in Jesus Christ, it won't suck you down. That there is a way for you to put it into the joy column, to understand that God is perfecting something in you. Though He did not cause it, He has a purpose for it. Some of you have been holding your breath for that. You've been scared. Though He didn't cause it, He has a purpose for it. But we have to come under this order. Put your faith in Him. Why? Because He is good. Allow Him to begin to change the things in your life and put His thinking, the understanding of who He is inside of you. Allow Him to control those things that maybe have led you before. Some of you maybe feel like you're led more by your emotions, the ups and downs of life, but allow God to begin to control those, to work about patience, to bring our hearts into a place where we're able to revere and honor God and receive from Him so that love is restored in us. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, we just thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I'm not going to speak for anybody else here, but I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to you, you and I, for just a second. Lord, there have been times in my life that I've gone off the rails because there's been stuff that I've walked through, God, But Lord, I thank you that in your love and in your grace, you reminded me that that didn't catch you off guard. That the same God who formed and fashioned me saw and has seen every day of my life and has held it perfectly secure. That God, you know my future and you've secured my future. 
Jesus, I thank you for showing me and extending to me your love and your kindness and your goodness first. God, I ask that you help me to keep my account full and remind myself of your goodness in my life. Father, I pray that you would allow in my life, Lord, Lord, faith to grow. And God, that the order that you are trying to build in my life to bring about the revelation of your goodness and the knowledge of who you are and Lord, the control over my emotions when sometimes those just begin to go out of control. Lord, let me lean back into the knowledge of who you are and the goodness of the truth of who you are. Jesus, I trust your timing. And at the very core of that, I don't need to understand it because I trust you. So I reverence you, God, for who you are because I am your creation and you are God. You are true and you are perfect. So, Lord, I just release anybody, God, who's hurt me. Father, and I ask, Lord, that your love that you put and you've extended to me, God, would begin to be seen in the way I treat other people. Father, that I would no longer hold anybody hostage. But Lord, the love that you've given me would be seen in the way that I treat others. And Father, so importantly, God, that your love for me grows inside of me. Lord, that the love that you have for me, that I would walk in that every day, that I would know that every day, that it would be my, my source of life and the source of my truth. And Lord, I thank You for that. Now, Father, I know that there are others here today that that prayer was their prayer. And so, God, I ask that You seal that in our hearts today. We know that we can't control these things, but Father, we know that we can trust You. And God, we desire to see Your purpose even in the midst of the trials of our life, produce joy and bring us to a place where we are stronger than we thought we could be. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. Would you stand to your feet, please? Oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, thank you all for being here today. Thank you, thank you uh, for, for making this church such a wonderful place, for making it a family. Oh, man, I am so, so honored. If you're comfortable, just, um, and if there's a guest next to you, don't, don't, don't try to do this, but could you just reach and, and grab the person's hand to your left or to your right, or both, both of them, I mean, I guess, you know. Just reach across the, yeah, there you go, grab it. There you go. Some of you are like, nope, I'm not, don't touch me. <laughs> if that's okay, if that's you, don't touch, don't touch, it's all right. Sometimes I'm a don't touch me guy too, all right? So don't feel bad if that's you. For real, don't, don't feel bad. 
That's Ronnie. No, Ronnie, put your hand down. I'm not touching you. <laughs> Ronnie's always trying to hug me. I open the door up. It's like Pandora's box, man. Wants to cuddle now. All right. And I want to do this. I just want to bless you guys. I want to thank God for this church. Man, what a wonderful place. Mm. Father, I just pray your blessing upon every person here. God, in such a great way, in such a real way, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. We just fill up the joy account, Lord, on just the truth of what you've done. Lord, over 27 years, God, of, of setting people free. Jesus, thank you. And in our hearts, we just celebrate that. If that's us, we celebrate that. And we say, Jesus, thank you for the work that you've done here. And God, we ask you for 27, 50 more, 100 more, Lord, as long as it takes, Lord, for you to return, God, that this church would be strong, Lord. Father God, that the vision of this church would be strong, Lord, that the lives in this church would be strong, God. We're not here to protect an organization, but God, we acknowledge the vision that you gave this church. And Lord, we thank you for the people, Lord God, that make this church up, that are family, Lord God. And so, Lord, I just say in the name of Jesus, let hope arise and let gifts arise and let future arise in the name of Jesus. Let love arise in the name of Jesus. Let care arise in the name of Jesus that this would be a place where the testimony of Your love would be so strong that the, the understanding that Your love rests here and the love for people rests here would be so strong. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, just Your greatest blessing over every person, that Your grace would overshadow us all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, we love you so much. I love you. Have a great, great week. We look forward to seeing you in the middle of the week. 